What up, fight fans, and welcome back to episode 87 of the Pound for Pound King of Boxing podcasts, The Tale of the Tape. I'm your host, Kenny Keith, and back with me, my right-hand man, on the left-hand side, Vince Cummings. What up, man? What's going on, brother? Not much, man. It was a action-packed HBO pay-per-view, and finally, uh, for once this year, a pay-per-view main event that delivered. Yeah, you got your money's worth, huh? Yeah, absolutely, man. No doubt about it. A fight of the year candidate on the undercard um, and some action from around the globe. But uh, before we get to the post-fight of Miguel Cotto versus Canelo Alvarez, I just want to remind everybody to stop by theboxingrant.com for all the archived episodes of the Tale of the Tape Boxing podcast. And also, this is the third edition of the Tale of the Tape video podcast on YouTube. So be sure to subscribe to The Boxing Rant on YouTube. And uh, you get the video version. Of- you, can, you can get a look at my pretty face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> pretty face over there. Um, and just uh, yeah, a reminder to all of you that have already subscribed and to the new listeners, the audio version of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast is available on iTunes. So subscribe today and leave us a review. It's much appreciated. We want to thank all of you out there that have left reviews for the show. It helps other boxing fans out there find, um, find the tale of the tape when they search for boxing podcasts. So we do appreciate all of you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us once again for our favorite time of the week, Pound for Pound King, a boxing podcast. Yes, sir. The tale of the tape. So let's get down to business on episode 87 from this past Saturday night, November 21st, HBO pay-per-view live from the Mandalay Bay, Las Vegas, Nevada. It was Miguel Angel Cotto, the lineal middleweight champion of the world, and recently stripped by the WBC for not paying his bills, <laughs> uh, squaring off against Kid Cinnamon, the one who dares to be great, yeah, the one with legendary status on his mind, Canelo Alvarez. Um, the WBC strap is up for grabs for the redhead from Mexico. It's a big one right here, Vin. Yeah, I mean, we've been waiting for it. It's, it was kind of boxing's last chance to salvage 2015. Yeah, it was a dismal year in a lot of ways. And you know what? Look, the last HBO pay-per-view, um, it was it was a, a, an exciting night. Right. You were there live at Madison Square Garden. Um, you know, Chocolatito just doing a master class performance mm-hmm. um, against the Hawaiian Punch. And, um, you know, an unexpected master class middleweight boxing performance behind a thunder pole jab yeah from triple g um and you know what man i i really enjoyed that card yeah it just didn't deliver the Hagler hearns expectations as was the uh, the lead up to the fight that's our fault 
Uh, we we may have had something to do with that, but that's okay. No, this one was was something much different. Yeah. Um. You know, first and foremost, Vince. I mean, come on, Kid Cinnamon Canelo. How big is this dude? Yeah, I mean, that's the first thing you thought when you saw him. Is that is a full grown middleweight right there? I yeah. mean, even on the bigger half of a, of what a middle middleweight would rehydrate to, the dude just looked like. He looked two weight classes ahead of Cotto. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, the first thing that you see when that dude steps into the ring is just the back. I mean, his back muscles and his leg muscles. And, and look, how, how many times you heard gym teachers and, 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 and trainers in the gym? Uh, not, not that you and I have been visiting the gym recently. I speak for yourself, man. <laughs> <laughs> but they talk about, it, you know, if you want to build other muscles in your body, if you want to have stronger forearms, stronger biceps, if you want to have stronger in, in the little fine, fine-tuned muscles, you can do all of these, you know, these crazy, like, lumberjack exercises, and you can, you can do all the bench press that you want to do, all the leg press that you want to do. The bottom line is if you're not working your, your, your large muscle groups, right, your thighs, your hamstrings, yeah. um, you know, and, uh, you know and, and working your back muscles, you don't get enough blood flow through the body to be able to develop your other muscles. Exactly. Um, and that's how he's able to put on so much weight. I mean, this dude... The thing that is really surprising, because there's even at some angles, I mean, you know, Cotto wasn't like dwarfed, like height wise, they're pretty much the same height. Mm-hmm. You know, Canelo had like an inch on him. But the fact is, man, is that you rarely see fighters today that have a foundation in legs. The legs, I mean, the thighs and the calves on that kid compared to Cotto was like man versus boy. Yeah, I mean, normally most guys are doing so much damn running, yeah. so much road work that it's impossible to even get your legs to be that big. The kid is just, dude, he's a complete beast, man. There's no other way to explain this guy. He is a scary, scary foe for anybody that steps in the ring with him. Ah, I just don't see many middleweights in the world right now that can that can hang with this boy. No, no. And you know what? Cotto gave his best, yeah. best offering. I mean, look, the first three rounds of the fight, I should say maybe the first two rounds of the fight were a toss-up. Yeah. Uh, is, de- is definitely how you're reviewing it because Cotto came out peppering, came out active. And for the entire fight, Cotto fought the entire fight. The problem was is that his punches seemed to be kind of bouncing off of Canelo. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas Canelo's punches, man, they were going right through Cotto. Oh, my God. They were so loaded. Every single punch was yeah. just, God, man. I-, I just can't imagine taking a beating for 12 rounds. Like that, you know, dude. Some of the combinations that Canelo throws are just they're they're mind boggling because you know he has a reputation, and there there were definitely spots in this fight where you know his reputation of not letting his hands go in 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 spurts and how he's pretty much just a combination puncher, mm-hmm. right? But th- I mean, dude, there were some combinations that he was throwing in this fight where he was dipping that right hook down to the body and then following it up with this like this looping three quarters uppercut. Yeah. I mean, just these wicked combinations, man. There was, there was a couple like slow-mo breakdowns in between the rounds where you went that he, he must've learned something from Floyd. Cause he'd step back, come back in with that uppercut, dude. It was, I mean, just pure, just boxing, beautiful boxing from him, man. Something that I was not, ex- I mean, look, I'm like, I know he's good. I just didn't know he was that damn good. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think, you know, honestly, man, the thing, my biggest takeaway from this fight, I mean, look, all said and done, final scorecard, 116-112, yours? 116-112. Okay, look, the one judge's scorecard with the 119 was a little ridiculous because it, it, it just kind of took a dump on the effort uh, that, you know, Cotto put forth. Right. 
But my biggest takeaway from this fight, honestly and truthfully, Vince, was I was so unbelievably impressed. And this is not hyperbole. This is 100% honest truth and really exactly how I felt immediately after watching the fight for the first time was the upper body movement of Canelo was remarkable in this fight. Yeah, I mean, the improvement in his defense, you're right, was uh, from fight to fight, that's what we see improving more than anything. And the leap that he took from the last time we've seen him use his defense, which was before the Kirkland fight. Right. Uh, I mean, he's just slipping punches like, uh, like a, he's, I just really, you didn't expect to see it. And for to see him slipping and sliding and, and, and the smoothness and the ease which he was doing it, it looked like just the guy looked like he's 30 years old. Like yeah. He's been in 50 championship fights. I mean, he, just unbelievable, just maturity from him in the ring at 25 is unbelievable, man. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, it, you know what it kind of looked like to me? And I, I don't know this for a fact, but, you know, if I'm just using some common sense here, it seemed to me that they realized, okay, like they were talking about it during the fight, the announcers were, they were saying how, well, you know, uh, Canelo's notoriously has these flat foot. He's a flat-footed fighter, blah, blah, blah. It was almost like the Reynosos and Canelo kind of came to grips in camp and said to themselves, they're like, you know what, we are a flat-footed fighter. Right. So what we're going to do to counter that is we are going to focus on our upper body movement. We're going to do so much rope work, right? We're going to do so much bobbing and weaving. We're going to do so much reflex work. We're going to really strengthen our core, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to really start doing a lot of core exercises and focus on that. And they were able to counter their own deficiency. And really the only deficiency that, that, that Canelo has in his game right. is his feet. That's it. Yep. But his foundation is so sturdy. So if he can have that kind of upper upper body movement against a very fast-handed, natural boxer right. like Miguel Cotto, I mean, sky's the limit. Yeah, if, if, if you can move your upper body, keep your feet planted and kind of stay balanced and still throw punches while doing that, you, you, you don't, you're not losing the heaviness of your punch because your feet are still planted and your weight is still centered. <laughs> ah, man, Ken. I'm just so impressed with this kid, man. Yeah, yeah. Is that why you got the hat on? Oh, come <laughs> on, had to. That's a badass hat, though. I, I love it. Is that an Under Armour? No, it's not. It's just a Canelo store. Canelo store? Just like the TMT, baby, and you pay for it. <laughs> Is that the mall kiosk? <laughs> <laughs> you walk up to the stitching machine and hand him a piece of paper with a drawing on it? That's where Floyd gets his hats made. <laughs> and then he charges 80 bucks. Hey, this hat was, I think, delivered like $48. Uh, no, I think it's money, man. Uh, dude, he's got such a sweet logo too. He does. You know, I see it. And I said, I, I gotta have. It. I don't. You know what, man? I don't have any boxing hats. I got like probably I don't know, fifteen shirts. Right. But I don't have any hats. That, that's why I got the hat. I'm the same way. I got enough shirts. Give yeah. me the hat. I don't really know who I'd buy. I mean, you know, I guess the the logical one would be Triple G, but I haven't found like the official, the official Triple G hat. Oh, they, they got some nice ones. I guarantee you'd snag one if you saw them on on, sure, on his website. To, I'll just make a drawing and go to the mall kiosk. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Just joined the program, man. Oh, man. I meant to ask you how, before we get back to this fight, I, I meant to ask you how was the memorabilia stand? Uh, it was the same. He had a few more selection, Triple G selections. They had all of his hats there, maybe five different kinds, different color combinations. That's always been the biggest gripe about going to boxing events. They probably had four or five different T-shirts. Dude, the worst of all time was freaking uh, Alien Crusher. That dude, I felt like... I. There's like crickets behind the damn. Well, I mean, that's what you get. Main events is. <laughs> it's awful, man. Yeah. It's a sellout fight and you don't have any, you know, merchandise. Why wouldn't you? Got to have the merch. Yeah. You know? And you can, I mean, 
you can basically rape me in there. I'll pay 40 <laughs> bucks for I know for, for a little pair of boxing gloves. Right. <laughs> All right. Anyways, back to the story. Um, yeah, I mean, shit, man. Uh, I'm going to try to get a little bit of memorabilia from this fight for sure. But um, yeah, Canelo, man, look, all the talk about Triple G and, you know, people tried to bait me on on Twitter about this. You know, they're trying to get me to say something like, yeah, because you get you, you get a lot after the fight. And, and this is one of the biggest problems with boxing fans today is that they miss the plot. They don't appreciate what's going on right in front of their face. And they jump the gun to the next thing immediately. And instead of acknowledging and, and really taking what Canelo did, his, his vast improvement, just a, a great performance and acknowledging him for that, they jump right to, oh, yeah, well, he, he wasn't all that because Triple G will crush him. And I'm like, my response was, yes, I do believe that Golovkin will beat Canelo mm-hmm. when, when they fight. But Canelo looked fucking amazing. Yeah, you got to give the kid his, his due respect. Yeah. Um, you, know, you know, but you see this all throughout. And then you get, you know, people within the boxing industry that have a hard time, and maybe it's because they can't get their fighters big fights. Right. Maybe it's because other people control their fighters' future. Mm-hmm. And whereas other other uh, uh, managers or other um, trainers, I mean, you see how much influence Freddie Roach has. He's, he's, he's his fighter's matchmaker. Yeah, right? Basically. Um, but we hear these comments in the post-fight, and I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but what exactly did the bread man, Stephen Edwards, say after the fight? It went something along the lines of, uh, boy, Canelo better be, uh, better be, he's a lucky man for, for being able to avoid all these five, ten to six foot urban fighters that can move and box. <laughs> what, what, ur- what urban? Is, urban, yeah. What's that mean? I don't know. Is he scared to say black American fighters? I mean, come on. Yeah. A statement like that coming after a fight where a guy looked better than anybody has looked all year as far as just pure, beautiful boxing. Uh, give the kids some respect, and nobody cares if you think J-Rock and Boo Boo Andre and the Charlos can beat him. Uh, I don't think anybody would fall in line with that statement except for you and maybe a couple other retards. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, he's beaten Erislandi Lara, correct? Yeah. He beat Austin Trout? Yeah. He beat Shane Mosley? Oh, man. What, are those guys urban, or am I mistaking what urban is? Uh, I Maybe mean, he didn't mean black. I, I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. Just a, just a completely ignorant statement. Yeah, it is. I mean, look, let's look at the facts here. Okay, look, we have been the biggest proponents, uh, you know, and, and fans and, and fanboys. We, we, we do one thing on this show, if you're just tuning in for the first time. It, go back into the into the analogs of of this show, and you will see we focus so much on prospects. Yeah, it's one of our favorite things to do about this show. And J Rock is what, number two on our list. Yeah, no, he's been a, he's been a favorite since we started. Yeah, he's been in the top five the entire time. Mm-hmm. Right? It's been it's been it's been Verdejo, Joshua, J Rock. He's right there. Okay, and and we love the way that he fights. He fights with so much of the same mentality as Canelo. Yep. But to come out and make a statement like that. Because you believe that you're young black fighters because you're a black man, you, you feel that black fighters are historically and stereotypically, mm-hmm. right? And generally speaking, are generally better athletes, yep. generally have quicker hands, mm-hmm. look flashier, mm-hmm. look smoother in the way that they deliver their punches, right? And have good feet, yep. right? This batch of young American fighters has horrible footwork. Oh, my God, dude. Okay, all of them. Black, white, I don't care what they are. Yep. Right? 
that's a fact. And what another fact is is this, okay? While these guys are all getting getting spoon-fed in the PBC fighting straight-up bums. Yeah. Straight-up bums. You know, I don't want anybody lecturing me on, oh, you don't know this, you don't know that. Motherfuckers, I fought for my country in a war. Right. Okay? So I, I know about uh, what it takes to, um, I don't know, courage, things mm. like that. So don't talk to me about a fucking boxing fight. Right. Okay? But here's the thing, is that these guys have been moonlighting, fighting bums in the PBC. Meanwhile, Canelo's fighting Miguel Cotto, James Kirkland, Erzlandi Lara, Alfredo Angulo, Floyd Mayweather, Austin Trout, Shane Mosley. Not the Charlo brothers, not... They're all the same age as Canelo. Yeah. All the same age as Canelo. And you can combine all their resumes together. Every single resume together. And it does not equal one of these fights that I just mentioned. They, they haven't beat any guy. You can go back to 2010 uh, on who Canelo's fighting. I, I believe he beat uh, Luciano Cuello in 2010, who, <laughs> who, who uh, J-Rock just beat. So at 20 years old, Canelo, I believe TKO six uh, yeah. against Cuello. Yep. And I know J-Rock steamrolled him, but let's be honest, uh, a 20-year-old, this is a child yeah. beating the same guy that your man beat. It's just, the guy is so far ahead of them. He has a Hall of Fame resume at 25. If he doesn't fight again, say he gets in a car accident and never can fight again, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yes, his resume is Hall of Fame worthy. His resume is Hall of Fame worthy at 25 years old. Mm-hmm. Whether you w- Look, people will argue this. That's fine. I-, I respect your opinion if you don't feel that way. Okay? Right. Perfectly fine. But we have to take into consideration the fact is this. Don't, it's not a good idea to make a comment that you think that he can't beat black guys. Yeah, like, that's basically the, the nuts and bolts of what he said. Like, that's ridiculous. If there's one thing that we do know, here's what we know. The American amateur boxing program is doo-doo. Oh, my God, is it? Okay? The Ukrainian and the Cuban amateur boxing programs take gigantic heaping piles of dumps on top of the U.S. <laughs> amateur. Is this, is this, hold on. Uh, Am I over-exaggerating? No, you're not. The USA boxing and, and everything involved in it is, is a complete mess right These now. guys come out of the U.S. amateur boxing program, okay, with a records of, like, 98 and 24. Mm-hmm. Okay. A majority of, of these young American boxers, they throw one-twos, they stand flat-footed in the middle of the ring, and they stay, have a smirk on their face. Right. And just try to outflash the competition. Yeah. Okay? And what you see is, is you see guys like Andre Durrell is a perfect example of this. A guy that seemingly, well, this guy should be beating everybody, right? Yeah. Well, he doesn't have the intangible to take fights. Nope. He does not take them. He throws one-twos, and... He stands flat-footed. Yep. Look, we can go on and on and on about this subject, but at the end of the day, don't sit here. There's so much of these comments going on in boxing and in society right now. The cop-outs in this country across the board of excuses and excuses about, oh, you know, this is where I come from, and I got a million excuses, and everybody's against me. Look, everybody in this country, this is what I firmly believe, is that anybody can start a podcast, anybody can sit in this chair, Mm -hmm. anybody can talk about the sport, anybody can do anything that they want. We all start in different places. Erzlandi Lara started on on an island, was basically a prison, and had to escape that onto a raft 
So you're going to tell me some inner city kid from the United States has, has, the, has the entire world against them when this dude, what he accomplished, just takes a gigantic dump on some kid from the hood coming out and making his way through a boxing gym. Right. No, you're, you're 100% so, you, you exactly right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Because people will say this. They'll say, okay, listen, white boy, right? You probably grew up in the suburbs, middle class. You had all the advantages in the world, okay? There are many people in this country that grew up with these advantages. That's no different than a young brother growing up in the hood in the United States compared to what Guillermo Rigondeaux and Ayers Lani Lar, regardless of what, you, of what we think right. of their boxing abilities or their skills mm-hmm. or their attitudes for that matter, right. what they endured. Yeah, it's not even close. No, it's, it's not, not the same thing. So, so my point is, and, and I hope this does not get lost in this, in this message right here, is that we all have these opportunities in this great country, okay? This great, amazing country. It's how many excuses you're willing to make to stunt your own growth and where you may start from the beginning. That's the only, that's the only difference between you and I. Yeah, the, and, and between opportunities, opportunities are there. Just got to go out and get them. You got to go out and get them. Be proactive. You know, and the fact is, is that this kid, where did he come from? I mean, yeah. dude, he, he turned pro at 15. Yeah. Out of Mexico. Yep. They brought him from nothing. Mm-hmm. And you know what his goal is? He doesn't make excuses. Does this kid make excuses? I've yet to hear one. Uh, Arizlandi Lara, which nobody wants to fight. I don't see, I don't see J-Rock fighting Arizlandi Lara. I don't see anybody in the PBC lining up to fight Arizlandi Lara. No. Do you? No. None of the – you think the Charlo brother? No, uh, no, we're stablemates. We can't fight him. Yeah, of course. Uh, that's our built-in excuse. Yeah. All this horseshit. What does Arizlandi Lara do? Arizlandi Lara storms the, 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 the post-fight press conference, right, of the Angulo fight mm-hmm. and basically just – Bitches Canelo totally disrespects I forgot all about that. what yeah. happened in mm-hmm. that fight. Totally disrespects him. You know what Canelo says? Oscar De La Hoya looks at Canelo and says, you are not taking this fight. Canelo says, that's the fight I'm taking. Yeah. I'm fight- that dude wants to come up here and disrespect me. I'm fighting the guy that nobody wants to fight. And what did he do? He beat him. He beat him. He took a chance, and look at what happened. You know what, man? Look, we're not millionaires. You know, we're hardworking men, blue-collar guys, right? Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it just drives me crazy, all the excuses. It's like you are what you are, and you are what you want to be. Right. And the fact remains is, is that Canelo does not make excuses for anything. He dares to be great. And if more boxers had the mentality that Canelo has, this sport would be way better off. Oh, it'd be the best sport on the planet if every fighter came into it with that frame of mind, that mentality. This sport would be untouched. And it blows my mind that they're actually paid boxing writers out there today. Paid boxing writers. We don't get paid shit. No. Okay? If anything, dude, we are upside down in this mother hunch. You yeah. know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'd like to take some cash if you got some. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they're paid boxing writers out there today in this respected boxing writers that have the fucking audacity, that have the nerve in to sit here and say that the the – the reason why Guillermo Rigondeaux gets treated differently than Vasily Lomachenko is because Rigo is a grumpy black Cuban and that Vasily Lomachenko is a white Eastern European. Did anybody watch that fucking Guillermo Rigondeaux fight? Oh, my God. Did anybody God. watch that fight and that undercard? I don't even that want to talk why, about it. Exactly. That is why he gets treated different. So to just throw that out there, yeah. to just be like, hey, I'm just going to say something wildly ignorant just to stir the pot. That's one of the dumbest comments you can ever make. And honestly, the boxing writers that talk that, that nonsense, I don't care if anybody respects me. I speak the truth. Right. If you don't like the truth, go, go listen to the other boxing podcasts. Right, there's plenty of them out there. That spit nonsense. Yep. Okay? The fact remains is this, is that y- you cannot 
and it's it's it doesn't matter if you are a radical feminist, if you're if you are a racist, if you are a bigot. Dude, there's so many people out there that do so many hateful things in this world, right? So many negative things in this world, and because of that, there are people that are just taking that that negativity and that horribleness, right? And they just fling it all over everything that's good. Yep. Nothing can be good. Everything stinks. Every, everything. It's, uh, it's just a cynical, just really haphazard. And it's very lazy. Yeah. And it's very dangerous. It's a, it's a cop-out is, is, is exactly what it is. And, it, yeah, you're getting nowhere if that's what, if that's what you go back to. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Fine. Feel that way. That's, that's, I, can't, I don't even want to be surrounded with that ignorance. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what, man? And honestly and truthfully, if nobody else wants to talk about it, you know, we will. Hey, it's got to be talked. Uh, we're not scared to talk about it. No, it's the truth, right. man. It is what it is. Dude, there's, uh, there's, there's inequalities in this country. There's inequalities everywhere. But the fact remains is, is that if you want to box, go to a damn gym and make yourself better. And if you're good enough, if you keep working hard enough, you can improve your circumstances. And, yes, there's, there's vultures. And, yes, there's people out there that, that are going to do everything in their power to make a dollar off of your ability and off of your name. But at the end of the day, if you dare to be great and put everything you have on the line, nothing can stop you. No. No. Not nothing. at all. And that's why you see the rise of Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez, mm-hmm. who, have now, who have now seized the throne as boxing's two, two biggest names. Yeah, and they're on a crash course, man. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It really is. I didn't mean to spend so much time on that, but you know, it needs to be addressed because it's very easy to get into a debate, especially in boxing, where there's so much just vitriol and so much uh, just ferocity and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and testosterone. And the argument comes from all corners of the world, man. There's black, white, European, man. British. <laughs> and it's, it's difficult to really get your point across in 144. Yeah. You know? No, you can't do that. No. And, th- you know, honestly, man, that's why I don't get into it with people on, on Twitter. No. Rarely. No, I don't. I don't want, yeah, I, I want no parts of an argument. You, you're going to feel the way you feel, and I'm not going to change your mind in 144 letters. So. <laughs> exactly. And, well, look, and that's why we started the freaking show. There you go. Fo show. All right. So, anyways, let's move on. Um, a great fight. 116-112 across the board for Vince and I. Um, the final scorecards for the fight, 118 to 110, 118 to 109, and 117 to 111. Canelo Alvarez, Kid Cinnamon, the new WBC middleweight champion of the world, and the lineal, the lineal, the guy who beat the guy who beat the guy. Canelo beat Cotto, who beat Sergio, who beat Kelly, who beat Jermaine, who beat Bernard. Yep. That is the line right there. Blat out. <laughs> All right, man. Great fight. Um, Canelo says after the fight, I'll fight anybody. Bring on Triple G. Yeah. Your opinion. Does it happen this May? Does it Ah. happen this May? I have a feeling it could. It it very well could. I'm going to say that Oscar, for once, lets it marinate. Just to build it up. Just to earn that extra money. And it's not like either one of them can't go. I mean, we'll see what happens with uh, Lee Saunders, but... Before the end of next year, Triple G could go get the winner of that, snag another belt. Yeah, yeah. It, it could just become, I mean, it's not going to, there's plenty of time. I don't, I don't want to sit here and wait a year and a half or no. two years, but there is plenty of time for it to not happen in May. I'm not going to be upset if they don't get in the ring in May. I'd be perfectly happy if it didn't happen until the end of next year. Yeah. Right? And in the meantime, I could totally... And you know what? Y'all may say, oh, what are you talking about, man? Let's just get to it because everybody's so damn impatient. 
nobody was, you know, uh, Raging Babe uh, on Twitter made a great comment. Why can't this kid just enjoy it for a minute? Why has yeah. everybody got to just jump right into it? Yeah, I want to see it just as bad as everybody else. I agree with you. And there's two fights for Triple G that I would love to see. Yeah. I would love to, I'd love to see the Toriano Johnson fight. Yeah. And I would love more than anything. The fight that I want to see is Chris Eubank Jr. Because oh my God. I, <laughs> dude, him and his dad and the way that they talk about Triple G. Did you hear what Billy Joe, Billy Joe Saunders said about that? No. He, he said, dude, he was like, Triple G will knock your head off. Uh, that fight wouldn't last two rounds. No. Not even. I mean, Dude, Chris Eubank Jr.'s got good power, but he is lacking in the skill department. Oh, he's so raw. It's so hard to watch sometimes. It's it's uh, it's, it's just because you know that the name has a lot to do with where he is in his career. Sure. And you see the skill, and you're like, this doesn't add up. This guy's not a fucking world champion. No. Give me a break. No, man. he he's not. A, he's a shadow of his father. You get to see his dad strut out to the center of the ring and do his catwalk turn. Yeah, he's a. <laughs> right he, he he steps out there and he, he dude it's so funny watching his 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 dad in the ring he like he walks out and he like gets to the center of the ring and he looks at the other opponent and he's like no 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 he's, he's very effeminate for a boxer yeah for for a for a banger yeah <laughs> on top of it um no but f- just for entertainment's sake i would just love to see those two fights oh yeah now we'll, we'll see you know i i doubt eubanks jr wants anything to do with that fight. well i think eubank is his mandatory in the wba is he I, I think i could be wrong i'm not exactly sure um i can pull up the rankings real quick and we can be sure yeah, i'd love to see that fraud ended too yeah yeah oh my gosh man you know what but honestly look the toriano johnson fight will be good because toriano johnson is a baller right you know what i'm saying and he loves to bring it um, you know, he is a, he's, he's dangerous because he can crack. He's got no defense to speak of. No. So that might not last longer than maybe like four or five rounds. Um, but at the end of the day, no. Okay. So Alfonso Blanco, who the hell is that? Never seen him fight. Couldn't even tell you. Okay. So Chris Eubank Jr. is ranked second on the list. Mm-hmm. Toriano Johnson's ranked fourth, but Toriano Johnson's ranked number one by the IBF. So now he'll be the IBF mandatory, which I'm not sure that Golovkin has to, I don't even know if he has to have that fight anytime soon. Um, the IBF is one of the only organizations that when it's time for your mandatory, yeah. you better fight your mandatory. Yeah, they enforce. And, yeah, or they'll strip your ass. Um, the WBO has become very, very strict about who holds the belts, and they will strip before shit. Floyd Mayweather didn't even get his in the mail yet before he got stripped. <laughs> right. right? Um, but at the end of the day, in another fight, and if it can be made, you know, we talked about this previously. I don't know if it was on this show or if it was when I had Doug Fisher on the show. But honestly, Vince, I would love to see them, and they can do it because they're not. Yes, they're beholden to HBO, in in in, in some regards. But doesn't Golovkin have the leverage with HBO right now? You would think where he could say, "Listen, I'm going to take this one fight because this is going to be." Steve, Steven Espinoza speaks all this shit about how the PBC doing 99 percent of its business outside of Showtime is going to benefit Showtime, right? Which I don't see how that makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah. But in the case of, of Triple G, if he were to take a fight against the winner of Quillen versus Jacobs on the PBC on NBC. And Golovkin was able to fight the winner of that fight in front of that size of an audience and say it did. I bet you that that fight would probably do six, seven, eight, nine million viewers. Yeah. And if it was on the right day mm-hmm. on national television, if you had a Fox Saturday night primetime. Yeah, absolutely. If they did, and it was outside of college football season. Yeah. And they did that fight. Dude, I tell you right now, that would be amazing exposure. Just a one-time thing. He's got to fight four times, anyways. So, 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 what's the big deal if he only does three fights on HBO? It, it only makes sense, and I know HBO's done it before with another fighter. I can't remember 
who it was back in the day they let somebody walk and get and do a fight and come back and and benefited them. Hold on, was it Pacquiao when he fought Mosley on Showtime? Was, was he under contract with HBO when that happened? No, I think he that was he went to Showtime for a couple fights. I I can't remember who it was. He fought Mosley on Showtime. Yeah, he did. I, I can't I can't remember who it was, but HBO has there's precedent. HBO has done it. They've let a fighter walk and go to Showtime and fight and come back, and it benefited them. And it would benefit them in this case for that to happen. Is that, uh, so, so, so there's three fights. So you would be perfectly, you would like to see, there's four fights. Yeah. So, okay, so Toriano Johnson, Chris Eubank just for shits and giggles, mm-hmm. just to see him get his head knocked off, mm-hmm. right? The winner of Lee Saunders. Lee Saunders and the winner of Quill and Jacobs. Yeah. So there's plenty of fights out there. Exactly. You, I, and look, I, I wouldn't care if we had to wait till May 2017 to I, see the fight. I completely agree. Um, for one, I mean, I, I'd hate to see Canelo all of his hard work to get where he is in the next fight. Just okay, your belt's gone. Uh, you're not. You, this guy's clearly better than you. You're not going to be able to beat him. Where do you go at that point in your career when you're Canelo? You got to wait for Triple G to move up <laughs> before you're relevant again. I, I think it's fine, man. There's no rush in my mind for this fight to be made. This thing can simmer. Yeah, and I think it's uh, look. Don't you think, though, too? Okay, so the WBC says that they have to make it within 15 days. That's but, ridiculous. But don't you think Golovkin would be the type of fighter that Golovkin is? Yes, he wants the belt, but don't you think he would say to the WBC, don't strip him. I want to beat him for that belt. Right. Uh, they're not. Come on. The WBC sees that fight coming down the line, and they want their pockets all up in that bad boy. Right. Okay, so let me ask you this. Doesn't a fight in the meantime, but... Canelo versus David Lemieux, doesn't that make a lot of sense? Uh, yeah, especially for Golden Boy. Yeah. I mean, you you got, you know, you're double double dipping on that one, so. But they look, here's the thing, though. I don't think that the, David Lemieux is so young that I think that you could, if you just kept him out of the ring with Canelo and Triple G, I think he could probably go on to be become their number two guy because he's so exciting. Right. As long as they put his fights on TV. One of the biggest disservices leading up, and I know he did his own disservice by the way he fought, in, in the Triple G fight. Right. But one of the biggest disservices that they did, and which honestly and truthfully hurt the pay-per-view numbers, was not putting that Hassan Endom fight on HBO. Yeah, I can't believe they didn't do that. Because they put the damn uh, uh, the fight against uh, King Gabe, Rosado. Yeah. That was on HBO, yeah. but then they go to the next fight, which is a bigger fight against a better opponent. And it's not like the, the fight against Gabe Rosado was a very, very entertaining fight. I don't know why you wouldn't have brought him back. It didn't makes no sense. Let me ask you about this fight. What does this do for you? It may not be ready yet. There's a guy kind of climbing up the ranks right now, Sergei Daryevchenko. Yeah. What do you think about him? He's got a ways to go, but uh, by the time... Yeah, end of 2016, early 2017. That dude's he's there, and he's going to make some noise against somebody. I he's a dude. He is a slick yeah. boxer. Yeah, he is. You, dude, he he kind of just looks like a gigantic, stocky version of a silly Lomachenko. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even. I mean, he's not even on my radar as far as them fights. Well, he go. just fought right, you know, and you know. So uh, I'm not. I'm you're, just, you're definitely right. He's got the skills to be a player for yeah, sure. Another another young gun. Yeah. In the next two years, mm-hmm. Antoine Douglas. Oh yeah, yeah. And he's got the personality to boot. Yeah, I got, really, got the story really like to back kid. it too. You like him? Yeah, tough, tough kid. Punches hard, boy. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple young fighters, man. You got you know Keytroff. He's he's kind of making his way. Mm-hmm. He's got some great power, but some inconsistent performances. Dominic Wade has been on the favorable side of a of a recent decision. Yeah, still a good fighter. M- Michelle Soro, a very, very good fighter. Mm-hmm. You know, just because a lot of these names 
the game gets more international and you know sometimes yeah, people have don't necessarily keep up with the international game we do know our competitors in the boxing podcast world definitely disrespect the international game oh my god you don't hear any breakdowns of any kind of fight from anywhere but in, in the states no but what you do see is t-shirts made out you know insulting international fights up for sale the euro bum shirt I, that's just that's just awful man <laughs> just awful uh anyways moving on Let's get to a fight that, okay, I do believe, and not to toot toot our own horns, Takashi Miura versus Francisco Vargas. I think we talked about that this had the potential to steal the show. And while it didn't steal the show, what it did was deliver, in my opinion, leading into the clubhouse right now, the fight of the year for 2015. Now, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you. The level of competitiveness in that fight the swings the quickness of the of the end of it the like the sudden finality of this fight we just you didn't see that coming at all what a what a just a, a great clash of styles and just two guys that let it all hang out one guy that would not give up even though he looked like he's getting the shit kicked out of him <laughs> uh, dude I, I was i'm not gonna say i was surprised but i did not expect it to be that good of a fight yeah, I mean, dude, what what we knew about this fight coming in was is that is that Takashi is he's a, he's a beast. Oh, he drops the hammer. Okay, and while the announcing crew was saying that Francisco Vargas was the more experienced fighter because he had sparred at the wild card, yeah, did you hear them saying that? Yeah, one of the focal points, and when we made our predictions for this fight, you picked Vargas to win. Mm-hmm. I I picked Takashi to win. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what my key to victory. For the fight, for the fight was my point that I made was is that this dude's resume dominates Vargas's. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has fought at the world class level in six or seven fights. This goes to my point about a lot of American boxing fans is just, that they just don't follow the international game close enough to realize that. Eh, let's be honest, man. Uh, One hundred and thirty pounds and lower. Some of the best fighters in the world are from Asia. Yeah, uh, the best fights in that in that weight class are not fought in this country for the most part, and the best fighters are not based in this country. Takashi Mura, dude, <laughs> what a, I mean, that style that he fights in, there's not too many people that fight that way. When that guy throws a left hand, if he connects, I don't know if there's anybody. I mean, that guy is flash, knockdown, down, one punch, left hand, comes straight in on you. It's just... A, a, just an attacking, just fun fighter to watch, man. Yeah, yeah, it was funny, man. There's right out of the gate when he got caught with that short, short hand and uh, and dropped him. I was like, oh, shit. And, you know, F- Vargas looked so damn sharp. He did. You know, coming out in those first two rounds. But then, I don't know if it was the clash of heads. He was complaining that it was a clash of heads. And they did come in, but I didn't see, like, an egregious, like, boom, like a collision. Right. Um, but that cut under the eye just kept getting worse and worse. And then I would say from, like, rounds three to eight, it was all. It was all Takashi. Yeah, he had, he had taken C's complete, complete control of that fight. And it looked like uh, Vargas was getting ready to crack at any moment. Such great observations by Roy Jones Jr. in describing the way in which Takashi threw, throws his one-two. Yeah. Straight up Manny Pacquiao style. That short right followed by... Just that sort of like leaping, like Aruken. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Left coming. Oh man, just vicious. And I'll tell you what, 
for as much as we applauded Canelo for just the thunder in his hands against Cotto the very next fight, the loudest punches landed of the, of the entire fight card came from the hands of Takashi Maiora. Those punches landed with a thud. I think he's made a name for himself. Uh, I, I was going to say that the rematch for that has got to be coming. Uh, you, I, I would just make sense for both of them. They're not going to make any better money. They just No, not in that division. They just proved themselves to, we'll see how many people bought the pay-per-view. Let's just say 700,000. They, they all watched that fight. That was, it wasn't the best fight skill-wise, but the funnest fight of the night. Yeah. I mean, just ridiculous action throughout. But the skill, the skill was far, oh. dude, the skill was far superior to Edwin Rodriguez versus Seals. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. Uh, not even, yeah, not even close. I'm I mean, not... I mean, that looked like my wife fighting against your girl. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Just, just hands, hands flailing all over the place. I mean, dude, this was a much more controlled fight. Oh, without a doubt. Dude, I just think honestly, man, what this had elements. It was nowhere near Castillo Corrales, but it had the same storyline. Right. You know, ebbs and flows. One person seems to be taking control, and then all of a sudden, the miraculous come back. Yeah. And so, at the end of the so, when 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 Takashi had taken over the fight, let's say between rounds four through eight, definitely. Yeah. Okay. I think. I mean, I personally, I scored all those rounds for Takashi. Yeah. Towards the end of that eighth round, so Francisco Vargas's face is completely gashed under his under his right eye. His it's so swelled out, it's black and blue. Then he has another cut above his eye on the same eye. It is down to where he can barely see out of it. And at the end of that round, I mean, dude, he, Francisco Vargas is basically if there's another ten seconds on the clock, you can see the look in the eyes of referee Tony Weeks, and he is ready to stop the fight. Uh, yeah, I kind of wonder if the doctor came into the corner in that round and said, that eye's getting uh, getting too rough. Like, I'm going to give you another round. Because uh, you got to cut above and below the eye. You're getting into you know, scary territory there. One punch to bust that wide open, and you got, I mean, the kid could have eye problems for the rest of his life. So I think he came out in that eighth round like, all right, it's it's last stand time. I you know I'm not going to last a couple more lefts on that on that eye, and he's done. I mean I'm I'm almost ventured to say he could barely see out of that by by the eighth round. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And what's funny is you know I noticed this during the fight. I swear to you, man. Like at the end of that round, I was like, okay, th- this thing's over. All Takashi has to do is come out, and maybe in the first minute and a half of this ninth round, this fight is over. Yeah. But then they flash to right as soon as the as, as the as the round is beginning to start. Francisco Vargas stands up off of his stool, and the camera is focused on him, and he has this look on his face like he was so pissed off. Like he just harnessed every bit of anger and determination and just dig down as deep as he could into his gut. And the look on his face said, this is it. it." (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Vargas' last stand. Yeah. And sure enough, dude, (laughs) boom. Yeah. I was with twenty seconds into the round, dude. The way Takashi landed and got up, and he was he was he was squirming and bouncing around on the canvas, and then he gets up and throws his hands in the oh air. Oh my god, dude! The way he was drunk and and bouncing around just reminded me so much of when Costa Zoo, oh yeah, <laughs> knocked out Zab Judah, and Zab Judah gets up and he's going <laughs> he's, like that to the referee. He's walking like an Egyptian. <laughs> 
Oh man, it was just so just a, a just a great fight, ebbs and flows, drama galore. Yeah, and uh, you know, it, dude, I I saw people on Twitter, man, people that are so pro PBC, anti anything Bob Arum. They think, of course, they think everybody that's not in the PBC somehow is related to Bob Arum. <laughs> Um, they were even saying that, you know, this was the fight of the year. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything that's even close. I mean, maybe Ruslan and, and Lucas, but I, I don't know. I think that one just had a little bit more drama. Yeah, I think regardless of the fact is that that rematch, like you said, it needs to happen. Oh, yeah. I think that that rematch needs to happen on the undercard of Canelo's next fight. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Oh, it was great, man. It was great. All right, so let's keep on trucking here for a second. Real quick, man. Before I put you to sleep, <laughs> or before I fall asleep, <laughs> um, Randy Caballero and Lee Haskins. What the hell happened? Well, oh, Randy didn't feel like uh, losing some weight. <laughs> I, I don't know if he thought Haskins was going to say, "Yeah, yeah, I don't care if you're twenty pounds heavier than me. Come fight night. <laughs> Why not? I'll take a chance. It's only for my belt." I don't know. He he walked, and I don't blame him. He said, "Thank you, sir. I'll have your." belt and i'll take my ass back to england and i got two belts now <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah that's 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 perfect i had no idea that that happened yeah i, I just the, the the night before you're hearing that i'm going what the hell caballero what are you doing man what the hell are you doing you you make absolutely like if, if that's going to be the case if you're going to step to the scale and be four or five pounds overweight what would you expect any fighter to say Ah, screw it. I'll fight a guy that's going to be a full weight class, maybe two, bigger than me come fight night. It makes absolutely no sense. And it's the biggest fight of this kid's career. Yeah. It's going to be televised on the undercard of Cotto versus Canelo. Yeah. But no motivation to lose four pounds. Yeah. Couldn't do it. No. Couldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, dude, if it's, you know. If it's a pound over, I mean, that just means it's time to move up to the next weight Is he class. Trading, training at uh, Rodriguez's gym? Uh, uh, Garcia's gym? Garcia's gym. Garcia's <laughs> gym. Yeah. He might have been. That's, that sounds about right. I'll be, dude, I I don't know that. Yeah. I don't know that much about Randy Caballero. But if 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 he is from Robert Garcia's gym, that's perfect. Fitting, huh? No, doesn't he know? <laughs> it does not fitting. It's overweight. <laughs> uh, the only thing that uh that that uh, Robert Garcia uh, fighters fit into is a uh, is a uh, uh, West Coast Mitsubishi banner, a corn tortilla shell. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> oh man, I tell you what, my boy Robert Garcia, man, yeah. my boy is a walking billboard. He will sell every inch of his T-shirt. I, I know it's crazy. Hey, I'm good for him getting money. Do it how you got to do it, brother. I don't know, man. Don't think- knock the hustle, Ken. Hey, dude, even people that uh, don't really, you know, nitpick like we do have even pointed out this year that uh, he's kind of losing his reputation as a as a world-class trainer. Man. Oh, yeah, I, I think the writing's on the wall with him. I mean, just struggle after struggle for his fighters to make weight, uh, performances looking lackluster in the ring. I don't know what his record is this past year, but I know I saw him lose more than he won. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, unbelievable. All right, so anyways, Francisco Vargas, the new WBC super featherweight champion in uh, the leader going into the clubhouse yeah. at this point for the 2015 fighter uh, fight of the year, Takashi Maura. Oh, man, what an amazing fight. All right, Guillermo Regandial, 
Is that how we're saying it now? Fucking Rigando, okay? <laughs> Drian Francisco. Um, Guillermo Rigando. You know, here's the thing, man. Rigando, we, we've said this for the longest time. People have emailed me. You know, they've, they've, they've hit me up on Twitter, the Facebook page for the show, you know, across the board, man. And they're always like, well, how, how can we even take your pound-for-pound pound list seriously when you don't have Rigo on it? Like, your pound-for-pound pound list is crap because it doesn't have Rigo on it. I mean, how can we take that seriously? doesn't have Rigo or Andre Ward on it, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, I'm like, listen, man, we state it clearly. We don't just make this shit up, okay? We're, we're not like the HBO guys where we just say pound-for-pound pound and it's supposed to mean something. We tell you exactly what the hell goes into why we pick who we pick. Right. Number one, first and foremost, is the fucking eye test. And relevance? Yes. <laughs> this guy is completely irrelevant. And, w- and even more after this performance. Dude, I'm telling you right now, there, if it, honestly and truthfully, there's never been a more revered in my lifetime, a more revered fighter that is more overrated than this guy. Yeah. Uh, to, and to be quite honest, the people that jumped on that, the Rigo bandwagon, Two years ago, oh, it, it, you know, you, there was this myth and lore behind his amateur background, and everybody sees the defensive wizardry. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I see a guy that's very highly skilled. I see a guy that is completely and 100% absolutely the most boring, most overrated fighter I think I've seen all year. The way that people talk about this guy, you would expect to see somebody go in there and just mow through people nah he likes to he likes to dance he likes to eh, i might throw a couple hard lefts and even when he does unload we were talking about it before the show yep his punches the when he throws an overhand punch it's like good god man what who taught you how to do that that's that's what's so great that this is the skill this is guillermo rigandiao you know what dude listen i'll put it to you just like this you cannot be considered I don't want to hear if one more person addresses me, sends me an email, writes anything about this guy being a defensive wizard. Okay. Yeah. A defensive wizard. Oh, he's the best defensive fighter. Max fucking Kellerman was slurping. I I thought he had his dick out at the table calling this fight, (laughs) like under the table, spanking it while he was calling it. Because, dude, the the shit that he was saying about, about Rigo being. You know, uh, royalty, boxing royalty, and how is he, how he is the best defensive fighter in the game. Let me just put this together for you, okay? This dude has 16 professional fights. Yeah. He has been knocked down four times in 16 fights. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, man, there's a myth. There's a lure. How many times has Floyd Mayweather been knocked down in his in in forty nine fights? I believe zero, if not one, for maybe touching his glove when he broke his hand, like he broke his right hand and then went to a knee with his glove down. I don't think anybody's ever knocked Floyd Mayweather down. Well, he, yeah, he was knocked down, but it wasn't called. His glove touched. Yeah, and uh, was it Zab Judah or Mosley? It was one of the two. It was it was Zab Judah. Yeah, it was the Judah fight. Yeah. But anyways, my point being this. Do not ever say that somebody is a defense. It's like people talking about Erzlan Lara when they forget the fact that the dude has fought in, what is he, 19-2-2 and two, or 21-2-2 two and two or something, something like that? Something along those lines, yeah. So he has four fights that he hasn't won. 
but he's the best fighter on the planet. Well, Ken, his all style those... is is unbeatable. Yeah, he he won all of those fights. How can you be considered a, a the best defensive fighter on the planet when you have been knocked down four times in sixteen fights? Yeah, it makes no Get sense. Get the fuck out of here, man. Yeah, that was the most despicable, dreary. Sleep-inducing. You know, people have been over-exaggerating a lot in a lot of regards to a lot of fighters recently. Mm -hmm. Okay? And I'm sure in some cases with particular fighters, you and I may have even gone a little overboard. Oh, yeah. Okay? Just out of pure excitement and passion for the sport. Right. You know? Dude, Guillermo Rigondeaux, the only thing that he does better than anybody in boxing, the only thing he does better than anybody in boxing, he moves backwards better than anybody in boxing yeah uh, that's a hell of a hell of an attribute isn't it that makes me want to watch i'm telling you right now i'm telling all of you out there right now if this dude gets in the ring with vasily lomachenko lomachenko will make this dude puke all over his own feet he's gonna win nine or nine nine ten rounds out of twelve he, dude he may whitewash him yeah i'm telling you right now this guy you cannot win a fight against a an elite boxing talent when dude did you see for the first eight rounds he threw 58 you know he landed 58 punches he landed 72 punches in a 10 round fight he had two rounds where he landed more than 10 punches and one of them he landed 10 punches i'll be honest i stopped watching it about round five or six i didn't need to see anymore that was the worst fight of the year Mm -hmm. it's just so the dichotomy of this sport is it's just amazing it's, a, it's, it's, it's really a wonderful thing about boxing, but something that's so amazing to me is that you can have back-to-back fights, the worst fight of the year mm-hmm. by far, and the best fight of the year. It's just amazing how that happens. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think about that, yeah. So for all of you, all of you out there that want to keep on saying that we don't know anything about or, or, or you, know, you know, there's levels to this game and that, oh, you guys just don't know what you're talking about and, 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 and that snide fucking... Passive aggressive remark by Max Kellerman to his colleagues saying that they don't know what they're watching. If if you don't have Guillermo Rigondeau in your top ten pound for pound, then you don't know what you're watching. The just the the line of the year, the announcer of the year award goes to we're giving out awards early this year, folks. <laughs> goes to Harold Letterman when they went to him for yeah. his scorecard. He goes, I I don't know what you guys are seeing. Jim, I'm telling you right now, this guy right here would get whitewashed. He's garbage. He's the way. Uh, this guy, I don't get it. I'd rather go take a nap. This guy is so damn boring, Jim. I mean, dude, it was <laughs> it was awesome. He said, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but he don't know nothing about this guy, this guy, and this guy. They would take his garbage out. I was just like, oh, man, it was so perfect, dude. So the award for announcer of the year goes to Harold Letterman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the old man. Oh, it was just so money, man. Okay, any final thoughts on Riga? I just want to hear your, your honest assessment of this I just, guy. I, I, look, I, I don't know where, like, I feel like people, the people that are, that are riding Rigo, that are on the Rigo bandwagon, I, I feel like they're basing it upon what they've heard other people say about him. And yeah. they, they haven't really watched him fight. Because if you've sat there and, and ran down the list of Rigo fights, you can't find one of them that is remotely entertaining. Not one. No. You can't. Okay, I get it. He beat Nonito Donaire. Big deal. He has done absolutely nothing in the sport since then. 
and I think he caught a donaire that at that point in his career, something something else was going on with him. I don't know what it was. He had to rebuild his career after that. I, I just I'm, I, I how can you defend this guy, especially after Saturday night? There's no defending what is the biggest snoozer of a fight to watch, a snoozer of a fighter to watch in boxing right now. It's not even close. You're racist for th- for, for saying that. Vince. Call me racist. No, no, no. This goes back to our the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. How in the world can you possibly? How stupid do the boxing writers that that just threw that out there that the reason why Guillermo Rigondeaux is assessed the way that he is is because of racism? How much does that just grind your gears after watching that? Garbage ass fight. I'm not even looking at the fact that he's black or Cuban or whatever. He fucking stinks. He's yes. <laughs> he's boring. Gosh, man, he is the worst. I don't care if you're in the gym uh, catching mitts, doing defensive practice. I don't care if you're the greatest of all time at doing that. He fought a fucking bum, Vince, and yeah. he landed 21 percent of his punches. Yeah, he landed 72 punches for the entire fight at a 21 percent clip. That's pathetic. That's absolutely pathetic. You're fighting Drian Francisco. Oh, uh, but you don't know what it's like to come back after 11 months, Vince. <laughs> <laughs> that was his excuse for a boring fight. Yeah, next next time he's going to let it all hang out, right? Hey. He's going to go for broke. I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I think Miguel Cotto has one fight left on his deal with, with Rock Nation. Mm-hmm. But, dude, I would not be surprised. If Cotto retires, which he very well could, yeah. after pulling $17 million yeah. that he did last night, plus whatever international bonuses mm-hmm. that he gets from that. Rock Nation is stuck with Andre Ward and Guillermo Rigondeaux. Mm. They I- have to do Jay-Z probably was like, what the fuck did we just do? Yeah, they gave the guy $10 million. Are you kidding me? $10 million. Are you making that up? No. They gave Guillermo Rigondeaux $10 million. I believe it was a three-year $10 million deal, if I remember correctly. I- it is amazing to me how Jay-Z has made it this far in this world. Yeah. If that's the kind of business decision he makes. Well, I don't think he's pulling the strings on that, but whoever he's got pulling the strings, uh, their job is on the line. After that performance, I mean, come on, man. You cannot justify paying that guy anything. He does not put butts in the seats. He does not put eyes on the screen. All he does is bore the people who give a shit to even pay attention. He doesn't fight, Vince. No. He's not a fighter. No. And you're not going to get anywhere in this sport trying to uh, just this guy's his career has got he's got about one more fight. He's got one more fight before people just completely, completely tune out, because I think half the people that were sweating him before this fight and that had his back, all of them are now trying to slowly creep away from that. I, I didn't say that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm just turning the dial if I hear one more person yeah. equate his his overrated, because he's completely overrated. Oh, my God. Completely overrated. Got floored twice against Amagasa. Yeah. Who? Yeah. Amahudu? Yeah. Best defensive fighter in the world. Been knocked down four times. Best best fighter, number one pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world? Yeah. Number one. People, there, there's a man that has rated this guy the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world. He's got 16 fights. He's been knocked down four times. Have you, have you even, uh, what? It's because you, it's, it just makes, it's so annoying because I feel like the people who back him are just, they're placating to something that they don't even know. Like, 
I've just heard all these stories about how this guy is so good. And everybody else talks about him with such, they're so revered as skill is. I, how could I not put him at the number one on my, on my pound for pound list? I've only seen him fight twice and yeah, he kind of sucked, but people say he's the best. So he must be the best. Dude, I, I have no idea, man. I mean, you know, it's so funny, man, is, is you see like, you know, like, like Max Kellerman was just defending him to, you know, to the ends of the earth. Oh my God. And he said to Jim, he said, would you, would you, he's like, you know, okay, well then would you rank 10 fighters ahead of him? And could you pick 10 fighters to beat him? And Jim said yes to both. <laughs> he just like <laughs> flatly and plainly said, have you ever seen, have you ever heard an announcer during, during a, a fight, calling a fight? be such a def- like blind defender of a fighter like fanboy defender of a fighter right. like like somebody told him that his favorite like superhero died and the tone of his voice just shrunk throughout that entire telecast to the very end he went from vehemently defending him to the ends of the earth to at the end of the fight him saying yeah that wasn't a very good fight <laughs> and yeah and then 2 weeks before that prior to that during a Lomachenko fight not talking about him and talking about every other fighter and who Lomachenko wishes he was. Uh, he wishes he had Triple G's and, and, and Kovalev's power. Come on, man. That guy, he's so lost. He really is. He's Dude, he, he, he is. He's, he's, the, he, he's, been, he's been ESPNized. Yeah, he has. You know what I mean? There's always there's some other story that's better that, that, that ties this story. It's just, just talk about what you see, please. No more comparisons. No, I don't care what your opinion is. If you think he's number one pound for pound, just say he's a good fighter and call the fight. I, I thought it was, when he stinks, he stinks. I thought it was so funny when 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 Jim Lampley came back with that passive aggressive. Ah, oh, we you know Max knows more about boxing than I do. <laughs> and I was just sitting here thinking to myself, I'm like, dude, Jim Lampley was calling championship fights when Max Kellerman was in diapers. Yeah, come on, give me a break, yeah. dude. Give me a break. And you know what, J- Jim Lampley gets really emotional about the sport. I mean, we've seen him come to tears uh, yeah. a lot of times, right? Yeah. But I'm telling you right now, dude, Max Kellerman makes up more than he knows about the sport. Oh, without a doubt. Or he brings up history because that's what he knows. Yeah, comparing Terrence Crawford to Marvin Hagler. Like, dude, when he made that comparison, I almost just fell out of my damn chair. <laughs> I was like, why? Because he switched to Southpaw in a fight? Yeah. I fight just like him, though. <laughs> yeah, those two couldn't be any more opposite. No. Not even close. I, I, dude, I remember a fight. I think it was last year. I can't remember who the hell it was the fighter, but he compared him to Evander Holyfield, or he compared he compared him to. Uh, he's comparing like a like a like a fucking featherweight to a to a heavyweight to a heavyweight. <laughs> yeah, he's lost the plot, dude. He has. He's completely lost the plot. You know what, man? As much as like the speech impediment of of Roy Jones can get a little, you know, it's like spit it out sometimes, or sometimes he, he confuses names like he was doing in the Canelo Cotto fight. Yeah. His observations are spot on, man. Yeah, they are. You know, and I would much rather HBO have Lampley and and Roy Jones and just get Max out of there because he he gets he gets offended. He acts like a little sissy. Like if you don't agree with him, like he has to make his point and keep beating at home and hammering at home and being a contrarian for the sake of being a contrarian. Because I talk with spaces in between every word <laughs> and everything I say is so eloquent. I mean, dude, the post-fight interviews when he goes into these long-winded, just ridiculous questions, 
to fighters that don't even speak English. I'll tell you what, did you ever, I, I, at least when Larry Merchant left, I'd never thought I'd ever be saying I want Larry back because I, at that point, he was time, slipping. He was slipping. He's getting old. Uh, let's bring Larry back. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. No doubt about yeah. that. No doubt about that. Shit, I'll do it. <laughs> I'm down. Sign me up. Sign me up. Sign me up. Sign me up. Kenny Keith at theboxingrant.com. All right, anyways, let's keep on trucking here. Let's, let's hammer this home here on episode 87 of The Tale of the Tape. Vince over here falling asleep. Hey, man, it's getting, getting late. Hanover, Germany. Arthur Abraham versus Martin Murray. The WB, uh, WBO Super Middleweight Championship on the line. I don't know. Typical fight? Uh, yeah, a typical that... Arthur Abraham fight. I mean, if you've seen one Arthur Abraham fight, you've seen this one. <laughs> because he does the same thing in every fight. And for whatever reason, people cannot figure out it's going to take volume, work. Like, you're going to have to throw more than 40 punches around. If you throw 50, 60 punches around against Arthur Abraham and you keep him backing up, you're going to win. You're going to win the fight. He's too, he doesn't throw enough punches. He's inactive for minute-long stretches of rounds, if not first entire first halves of rounds. But somehow this guy just drops Big right hands. He he throws flurries at the right time. He's very he's a very very smart fighter. Very calculated in what he does, and he he's you basically never find him tired. He carries his strength all the way. He carries his his power all the way to the twelfth round. I just don't understand why people can't figure out that there's like a very simple blueprint to beating him, and it's just get the fucking work. Yeah, he, as simple as the blueprint to beat him is is. As simple as his bl- blueprint is that he brings with him every time. Yeah. Just like we try to write a little bit of a script before we come into every show. Now we're on our or 87th show. Right. So we've kind of got it down how to say hello, how to do the show, and how to say goodbye. Right. Right? And that's what Arthur Abraham does. Yeah. He brings the same script. He has never rewritten the script. Hey, that, that script is one hell of a script for him, boy. Yeah. It's, it's worked his entire career. And he's... <laughs> Yeah, it has, and that's exactly what we got. And you know what? And the thing is, is that as traditionally boxing able as Martin Murray is, yeah, talk about a guy that just doesn't have it. He just, yeah, it just seems to he seems to lack that the killer instinct is about as simply as you can put it. Yeah. He just he he won't he won't go for it, man. And I don't know if he, if he won't go for it. I don't. I just don't think he possesses. The, the actual, like, the, the, the fortitude, the strength to go for it. it. Just his punches in this fight just didn't seem to have any pop at times. He did catch Abraham in the eighth round, and he, Abraham did the dance, but he, he couldn't finish him. He, I don't even think he landed another good punch after that. <laughs> and 15 seconds later, well, there goes Martin Murray back into the ropes. Arthur Abraham's backing him up. I, I, I just don't understand it, man. Uh, it, it's... I don't want to disrespect Arthur Abraham as a fighter because he's one hell of a fighter, and he's been able to do this for a long damn a time. long time in two weight classes and been in twenty championship fights at, at least. <laughs> the dude, it's just if you're a trainer, how the, the game plan to me is so simple to beat him, and nobody can pull it off. And maybe that's just because they get hit by Arthur Abraham and they go, "Well, that just kind of changed everything." Yeah, yeah, he does carry some weight in that right hand. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's no doubt about it, man. Um, Look, truth is, is that now this man who is now 44 and four, Mm -hmm. okay, has been on 
now would equates to an eight-fight winning streak. Okay, hasn't lost in two years. An eight-fight winning streak. Highly active fighter for his age. Yeah. Um, you know, and is expected to remain active. I mean, dude, for the last what? He fought four times in 2012. Yeah. He's fought three times in 13, 14, and 15. So he's going to enter 16 now with a mandatory challenger who fought on Friday night, True TV. Okay, Friday night knockouts from the Chelsea Ballroom, Las Vegas, Nevada. El Zurdo, the Southpaw, mm-hmm. Gilberto Ramirez, our number ten ranked prospect on the Boxing Rants top ten prospect list, which you can find at theboxingrant.com, and which the new list will be revealed at the year end show, um, sometime in the end of December, early January, whenever that show comes your way. All that good stuff will be coming with it. Squares off against Jivorg Katichkin or Katakichi. Yeah. I don't know. I think Timothy. <laughs> I think Timothy Bradley said it like five different ways. Yeah, he the fight. did. Katichkin, um, in a uh, 168 pound fight. Gilberto Ramirez, man, he, you know he, he's he's so much of an enigma, Vin, because you know he looks really good one fight, and then he looks really like what the hell are you doing the next fight? I mean, you know, a perfect example, okay is when Gilberto Ramirez, two fights prior to this fight against Maxime Vlasov, you know, I had a huge, in the Zuniga fight, he fights upright. He fights more, uh, takes advantage of his size. Then in the Maxime Vlasov fight, scores off with a guy who's similar in height and fights in the squatty low position mm-hmm. and is fighting in close at range. And it just, it was an ugly fight. He didn't look like he had any zip on his punches whatsoever. Smothered his punches. Smothered his punches. Then he fights against Derek Edwards. And what did we say coming into that fight during the preview? It was, we said he has to fight tall. It was a show me fight for him, really. What did he do? He fought tall. Yeah. He punched downhill at range. He set everything up with a hard jab and utilized his height advantage against a smaller fighter. Yep. And then followed it up with hard shots to the body. What does he do in this fight? He goes right back to this squatty, looping, slow, inside, just what the hell are you doing? Yeah. I'm starting to question whether uh, he's going to, even if he fights Abraham, which we said before in the, in the, the pre-fight of, of, of this Ramirez fight, I, I thought that fight was all wrong for Abraham. After last night and after looking back on two out of the three last performances from Gilberto, it, it's just... Does he have it? I, I I don't know. I don't. He seems to lack the serious thudding power. For one, he, he's a volume puncher and he pretty accurate at that and can throw a multitude of punches and works the body very well. But Katakichiken, or however the hell you want to say it, he didn't seem to ever hurt him. He landed a. I think Ramirez was stunned a couple times in the fight. Yeah. By some very, I mean, the very, very awkward style. Yeah, that guy wasn't very good. No, no, no. But that, why didn't he finish him? Why can't you finish a guy like that? The best in the world, they handle, and I get it, he won every round. And it really wasn't close. But finish that guy, man. Finish him. I don't care about a six-inch height advantage against Arthur Abraham. If he fights like that against Abraham. Oh. And and fights a, a like squatty yeah and inside he will get destroyed. Mm-hmm. Abraham will knock him out. Yeah, if he fights like that. Yeah. So maybe Abraham's chomping at the bit, saying, "Okay, okay, Bob Arum, you want to bring this guy over here? You, you want to keep pumping this guy up? Bring him over here." Right. I wouldn't be surprised if you see another um, a Martin Murray rematch. I really wouldn't. Well, and maybe that's what we see. Yeah. I mean, it was a split decision, so. But either way, dude, Gilberto Ramirez. 
there's a good chance he falls off that prospect list. Yeah. Okay. Um, one last fight, and then we'll let you all go. Uh, we don't need to go too much in depth with this. Were you surprised at what happened at the Manchester Arena on Saturday when Darleus Perez and Anthony Hala Dalla Kralla <laughs> stepped in the ring for a rematch for that WBA lightweight title? Yeah, I don't think anybody expected that. I, I, I don't know how you could have. I don't know. I've listened to a, a bunch of different boxing stuff, and I didn't see anybody predicting Anthony Kralla to knock Darleus Perez out. I, I didn't see it coming. No. I, I picked Perez to win. Yeah, I, and I think most people thought Kralla fought the fight of his life in their first fight, and uh, Perez was probably came in a little underprepared and not expecting that. And body shots, baby. Oof. Hey, uh, he landed a pinpoint body shot left to the body. Looked like you see the punch thrown, and you're like, that wasn't that hard. It didn't even look like he loaded up all the way. He must have caught the bullseye because – Perez was down on all fours, and he was hurting. He wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> no. Could have been a 20 count. He wasn't getting up. I'll tell you what, man. UK's got some lightweights. They do, man. They, they dominate 135, don't they? Yeah, they seem to be uh, snatching up belts. Like Every time you turn around, there goes another UK guy snatching a belt from somewhere. <laughs> that, that was unexpected, you know? Yeah, it's true, man. It's true. You know, it's, it's always... Dude, lightweight, 135 pounds is always a fun division. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so now you have uh, Jorge Linares with the WBC strap. Uh, Darleus Perez has the WBA. Well, not anymore. Um, sorry. I, just, I don't know why I just read that. We just talked about Anthony Kralla knocked him out. So Linares has the WBC. Kralla has the WBA. Um, the IBF is vacant. That'll be fought very shortly mm-hmm. in a, what, a couple weeks. Yeah. Um, Shavikov versus uh, Rancid Barfellamy. And uh, Terry Flanagan... Uh, guy that just constantly impresses us. Well, I think at this point, it's got to be, I mean, the UK fight's going to be Crowley Flanagan. I mean, it just makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that'd be... That's a huge fight over there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But then we have one of our favorites, Cool Hand Luke. Yeah. Who is on the rise, and I think he's ready. I, I think he beats uh, Kralla and, and, and Flanagan right they're now. They're all keeping it warm for, for old Cool Hand is all they're doing. They're keeping the seat warm. Yeah, and uh, Jorge Linares, I mean, I, I don't think there's any arguing who the best lightweight on the planet is. No. Mm-mm. I mean, Linares is a beast. Yeah. Until somebody takes him out, yeah, he's the best. Yeah. And and you know what? He's there for the – he likes to get knocked down. Right. <laughs> Problem is, is that he always gets back up. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, the lightweight division is definitely, uh, definitely exciting. Um, and uh, we look for the rise of Cool Hand Luke. We'll go more into depth as he fights on the undercard, I do believe, of Anthony Joshua versus Dillian White. Yes, yep. So, uh, yeah, we'll have more for you there, um, no doubt about it. So that will do it for episode 87 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. Um, You know, so we have a busy preview schedule coming up. You know what? We could sit here and we could go into the fact that, yeah, in two days, Erzlandi Lara returns against Jan Zavik, but we already know how that fight goes. Here's how the fight goes. 12 rounds, Erzlandi Lara puts on a boring display of boxing, pot shot picks off, counter right hand all night long on Jan Zavik, wins 12 rounds, doesn't, do, doesn't finish the fight. Why? Because he doesn't feel like it. No. And that's how that fight goes. I think you nailed it. So that's our preview of Erzlandi Lara <laughs> versus Jan Zavik. Watch if you want. but On Wednesday night. Hey, you know what I mean? I said it before and I'll say it again. You get back-to-back nights of sleep-inducing Excitement. First, Erislandi Lara puts you to bed nice and early. Uh huh. You know, having trouble sleeping. Then the next night, tryptophan, right? 
some good old turkey. <laughs> right? That ain't tryptophan. <laughs> there it is. Airs Londi Laura is the tryptophan of boxing. <laughs> oh, man, oh, man. That works. Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's fantastic, really. Um, so, yeah, man. I guess, uh, I guess that will do the deal, won't it? Yes, it will. So let's go ahead and get out of here on episode 87 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. So we'll be back in just a few days with episode 88 as we preview the upcoming heavyweight showdown as Vladimir Klitschko, Dr. Steelhammer, takes on the enigmatic Tyson Fury for the undisputed heavyweight championship of the world. And this is going to be an episode of the Tale of the Tape that you do not want to miss. So thank you again for tuning in to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on TheBoxingRant.com. I'm your host, Kenny Keith. And for my co-host, Vince Cummings, who you can follow on Twitter, at VinceCummings81, we'll see you in just a few days. Klitschko Fury, Charlo Campfort, Errol Spence returns, and so does top prospect Erickson Lubin in a championship fight, including James DeGale and Lucien Boutte. That'll be a good one that you don't want to miss. So an action-packed episode on the horizon. Be sure to subscribe to the Tale of the Tape video podcast on the Boxing Rant YouTube channel and subscribe to the audio podcast on iTunes today. So until a few days away, you've been listening to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. Muchas gracias, everybody.